Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Like I said, we'll be in uh, 1 Kings chapter 8. Um, and as you turn there and get ready, uh, one thing that is quite helpful when we uh, read through the Bible, especially historical narrative, is that we can tell what is important by what uh, a lot of time is spent on, and specifically um, important periods in the life or of God's people, um, and how much they spend on particular passages. You think even just about the gospel accounts, and how often it, close to half of it, half of each gospel account is, is spent in the last uh, week of Jesus' earthly ministry, and because that is the, an important part of Jesus' earthly ministry, and uh, the gospel accounts need to make that, uh, emphasize that by spending a lot of time on it. It doesn't mean that there's not other important things, um, but it, it shows us where the emphasis is. And as we've seen, even in these couple of chapters, the author of First Kings spends a large amount of time talking about these years of construction. Uh, Solomon reigns 40 years, and the uh, majority of this time from chapter 5 is focused on the building of the temple, the house of the Lord. And again, we've highlighted this throughout our time as we've studied it, as we've looked at the blueprints and, and all that's happened there. Is This is a huge moment in the life of Israel. As um, we find out in Deuteronomy, they're told that they're going to go into land, the promised land. They're not to worship the, the gods of the people uh, of that land, and they're not to worship the true living God in the same way that the people, the surrounding nations and those inhabitants of the land worship. But God specifically tells them that he will, he will find a place and show them a place that the Lord will God will choose out of all your tribes and he will put his name there and make his habitation there. So God will come and dwell and this will be the Lord's house, the Lord's place. And this is a great moment and, and height for the nation of Israel. You could look through the timeline of the Bible and see mountains that are covenants, covenantal mountains of these high things that are pivotal and, and critical to how we read and understand the Bible. Uh, how God makes covenants with his people. The Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davianic covenant. And, and here we see these critical high points. Another way that you could look through the Bible is to be able to see mountains of worship, high moments in the whole nation of Israel be set apart and, and worship the one true living God. You think about you know, Passover in Exodus 12 or crossing the Red Sea in Exodus 15 with the song uh, that they sing in Exodus 15, Mount Sinai in Exodus 20. Uh, the golden calf, following the golden calf in Exodus uh, 34, uh, 32. Joshua 24, when Joshua is uh, saying farewell and the people all worship God. First uh, Samuel chapter 7, the ark returns to the people of God and, and Samuel, underneath Samuel's direction, the, the whole nation throw away all their false gods and worship the one true living God. Or 
2 Samuel chapter 6, with the ark coming into David's city, and, and uh, here David worshiping with the people. Maybe you could think of another couple, maybe a couple in Judges. But you think about this period, this has been about 487 years since uh, they had left uh, Egypt, and you could maybe count a possibility of maybe 10 occasions during that period of time. The first four that I mentioned are in Exodus. Um, so it minimizes that. You've got 480 years. Uh, there's not a lot of times where the whole nation of Israel is truly devoted to God as a whole people, uh, worshiping the true living God. Uh, Joshua, Samuel, David, these three possible generations stop worshiping these false gods and truly worship God alone. And so too, chapter 8 is one of these high mountain worship moments. These great highs of the nation of Israel filled with worship and God's glory. We see this um, even compared to uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 5. In 2 Chronicles chapter 5, very similar to this passage, but it's slightly different. The emphasis in Second Chronicles is more about the ceremonial aspects of what is happening in this place. Whereas in First Kings, the emphasis is more political, um, more uh, civil, more um, about the citizens worshipping as well, the whole nation of Israel. But we get to see it right at the very beginning in the first five verses. You see the highlighting of this. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the father's houses of the people of Israel before King Solomon in Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled to King Solomon at the feast in the month of Athenim, which is the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came and the priests took up the ark, and they brought up the ark of the Lord, the tent of meeting, and all the holy vessels that were in the tent, and the priests, and the Levites brought them up, and the king, and all the congregation of Israel, who had assembled before him, were with him before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. And so here, this great height and the author wants to highlight specifically that it's not merely just Solomon and a few people, a small party, but it is the whole nation of Israel led underneath Solomon, the son of David, sitting on David's throne. And here is this great ceremony of God and his people. They've come a huge way since the beginning of 1 Samuel when the ark and Shiloh and and Eli, the priest, and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And, and here they are, and, and what they used the ark for was to be able to use and abuse it. They used by the people of God as some magical chest that if they thought they would put it in the middle of the battle, then they would win. But what happened? The ark was captured. The glory of God departed. Ichabod. But then it was sent to the Philistines, God's house, Dagon. And the Lord defeated Dagon and he sent the, the Philistines sent it back because of the fear that was upon them. But it is the Lord who wins that battle that day. The ark that sat in the tent of the city of David since that time in, in 1 Samuel chapter 6, when Uzzah touched the ark and he 
fell, uh, death fell upon him. And they didn't transport the ark in the holy way that was prescribed in the book of the law. But from that moment, the, the ark had dwelt within a tent. This was David's plea in Second Samuel chapter 7. King David says to Nathan, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. This is where it spent its time. Now, it's, it might not come to our recollection, but Uriah, when his, his response to David after David tells him to go home to be with his wife, Uriah says, The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in an open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live, as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Here it is, the ark has been dwelling in a tent. This is, has been worshipped by Solomon. Uh, so Solomon worshipped before it, worshipped the Lord in, in 1 Kings chapter 3. Now, this is just a, an interesting thing to be able to think about. Now, we don't have a hard timeline, but... Hard to know, but since Second Samuel chapter 7, since David said, I want to build God a house, God says, no, I'm going to build you a house through your son. So Solomon's born after chapter 11. David's reign was 33 years in Jerusalem, 40 years total, including Judah. So if, if you divide that up into thirds, then maybe the fourth year, with the fourth year Solomon reign, seven years to build, in about 11 years since that time, maybe uh, 22 years uh, since Second Samuel chapter 7, uh, more, probably more like 31 years uh, after David's request is to be able to go build this house. Now Solomon has done it. Now Solomon has accomplished that great uh, feat. So what is the significance of this event? Um, when we think about now the ark coming and dwelling within the house, this moment, in it, why, what makes this such a large pinnacle moment in the nation of Israel? So we'll highlight them from this passage here. I want to highlight three major things. The first is from roaming to resting, from roaming to resting. The first thing that we might uh, glance over is very important. And mainly we miss it because we don't think like an Old Testament Jew or we don't think in that perspective. If I was to say that something about December 25th, you would all know what I was talking about. You would all know exactly that date within your mind. You, it's not merely just any date. It's a holiday celebrated throughout the Western culture that we call Christmas. But here, we might have missed it as we read through what we just did before. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 2, And all the men of Israel assembled to King Solomon at the feast in the month of Ethanim, uh, Ethanim which is the seventh month. Now you think about it. Uh, what is he talking about? Why is he bringing this small little fact up? But it is very important in the Hebrew calendar. 
especially when we think about what we just read before in the end of chapter 6, when we're told when Solomon finished the temple, in the fourth year the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid, in the months of Ziv, in the eleventh year, in the month of Bull, which is the eighth month, the house was finished in all of its parts, and according to all of its specifications. He was seven years building it. So between chapter 6, the house is finished in the eighth month, but now they're gathering in the seventh month. A whole 11 months afterwards. It started in the fourth year, finished in the 11th year. Yet they're celebrating in the seventh month. They finished the house. Maybe the items all haven't finished for a period of that time, so they're waiting for all that to happen as possible. Maybe the interior pieces took a little bit longer to build than the actual house. But I think it's more significant than merely just that they took 11 years to be able to throw this party. But notice something else that's very important as well. There's a image of the calendar. Um, it's not very large, but there you see all the months that they start. They start in Nisan, which is the Passover feast. But then you come down to the seventh month, which is uh, Tishri uh, or Ethanim. Um, and this is the Feast of Booths. And this is quite uh, very important, as you see there. It's not merely that they gathered at this time in the month the seventh month, but they also had a feast. So they celebrated this feast, and this is known as the Feast of Booths. And they're told to celebrate this in the book of Leviticus, where the Lord tells Moses that how they are to celebrate. And he says this in Leviticus chapter 23. Speak to the people of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, and for seven days in the Feast of Booths to the Lord, on the first day you shall have it be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You should not do any ordinary work. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as times of the holy convocation. For presenting to the Lord food offerings, burnt offerings, and grain offerings, sacrifices, and drink offerings, each on its proper day. Besides the Lord's Sabbaths, and besides your gifts, and besides all you, your vow offerings, and besides all your free will offerings, which you give to the Lord. On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of land, you shall celebrate a feast to the Lord seven days. On the first day you shall have a, be a solemn rest. On the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of the splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and bowers of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in a year. And it is a, a statute forever throughout your generations. And you shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generation may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths, and I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So here the focus in the Feast of Booths is to be able to celebrate uh, 
what the Lord had done. And it's to be a reminder of their wilderness wanderings, how they used to live in tents, but now they live in houses because they're in the promised land. So they're to be able to look for that day of rest in that last day where they get to move back to their houses. And this is very significant when we think about that the Lord and his people are now resting. They're not roaming in tents, but they're resting. This is a part of Solomon's prayer and later on in the chapter where he says, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people according to what he has promised. Not one word has failed for of all his good promise, which he spoke by Moses his servant. Here, they're going from roaming in tents to being stationary, resting. God lived in a tent, but now he does not. The people lived in tents, but now they do not. This is God's promise that he was saying that now they're in the promised land. They're celebrating their resting. They're not celebrate. They're not, no longer wandering. The second thing that we see that is, shows the major, which is similar is from a tent to a temple, from a tent to a temple. Now God is moving away from his tent to a temple. Now we've seen this. This is not some new and improved way that Solomon has come up with to be able to build upon the practice, but this is all upon what um, God revealed to Moses. And we see this even in this verse here, in verse 4, that they even move things from the tent into the te- temple. And they brought up the ark of the Lord, the tent of meeting, and the holy vessels that were in the tent, and the priests of the Levites brought them up. Here the tent had served its purpose. And now they're moving as the people are no longer, it was moving as the people were moving, but now there's no need to have a moving tent because the people aren't moving. They're now stationary. They're in the promised land. They're established because of David's great reign as king. But more than that, they're not only on the move, but they're here to be able to stay. You see this in verses 6 to 7. Then a priest brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place underneath the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread out their wings over the place of the ark so that the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles. Here, it it comes to where it was meant to be. There was a hole here in the temple, and that hole was built for the ark to be able to dwell there underneath the arches of the cherubim's wings. We tell our kids that it needs a place. Something needs to, where does this go? It doesn't go on the ground. It has a place. Where's its home? Where do you need to pack it up? A place for Legos, a place for trains. And now the ark has a place. That place is in the temple. At the moment, our basement looks like a wholesale retail store full of building supply surplus. And uh, each of these items has been bought for a specific purpose. It, It has a place, but it hasn't been placed in that place yet. The broken house is not finished, so the vanity can't go into the broken house. It needs to stay in our basement but now the ark has a place the ark has a place to be able to go and dwell we see this here even later in the chapter in verse 21 there i've prepared a place for the ark in which the covenant of the lord was made with our fathers whom he brought out of the land of egypt 
Again, how important this is that God said that he was going to set and seek a place the Lord will choose, that his name and habitation would be there. That it's going to be like a plant planted in the ground, not a pot plant moving. Again, in Exodus chapter 15, it says in verse 17, And you will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. Will become a very pinnacle and pivotal place. This temple, we'll see later as, as Solomon prays, that many of his, uh, is about looking to this temple, looking to the place in which God dwells. He says that your eyes have been opened night and day towards this house, the place which you have said, your name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer of your servant offered towards this place, and listen to the plea of your servant and your people Israel. And pray when they pray towards this place. And listen in heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. The tent is, is for moving, but a temple is for dwelling, and dwelling forever. And the last thing that we see here in this verse is from empty to full. From empty to full. In verses 6 to 11. And the priest brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house and the most holy place underneath the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread out their wings over the place of the ark, so the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles. And the poles were so long that the ends of the poles were seen from the holy place before the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from outside. And they were there, there to this day. There was nothing in the ark except two tablets of stone that Moses put there at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. And when the priest came out of the, the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the whole the house of the Lord." Here it's not merely just a nice building as we've tried to point out as we've seen the blueprints and the building and construction. It had a very specific purpose. Deuteronomy 12 says that he's going to put his name and his habitation there. God was there to be able to dwell. That's what Matthew Henry writes about this place. The temple which richly beautified yet while it was without the ark, was like a body without a soul, a candlestick without a candle, or to speak more properly, a house without an inhabitant. All the cost and pains bestowed on this stately structure are lost if God do, do not accept them. And unless he pleased to own it as the place where he will record his name, it is after all a ruinous heap. Here, this house was somewhat empty, and the ark comes in, and now God comes, and not merely to be able to place his name there, but to inhabit this place. Now, before we go any further, Solomon will actually point this out later, but here in, in, in Acts chapter 7, 
And Solomon built a house for him, yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, for as the prophet says, says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? So it's not merely that God uh, throws away his, um, his uh, ability to be ever-present, uh, but even Solomon understands this in verse 27. He says, But will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, much less this house that I have built. But what we see is God's glory come down and fill the temple. The ark has been transported on poles, unlike Uzzah in chapter 6 of Second Samuel. And the ark is then placed in its place, in the place where God was to dwell. Now this passage echoes the very end of Exodus and the driving point of Exodus is not merely that the people are saved, but the people are saved that God comes down to be their God and they are God's people. That they're called to be able to serve Him, to worship Him. That God would dwell in their midst to be able to see His glory and His splendor. This is how Exodus ends. And the cloud covered the tent of Midian and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Just as it did in Sinai as well. In chapter 24, the glory of the Lord dwelt on Sinai. And the cloud covered it six days. And the seventh day he called Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of glory was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain. In the sight of the people of Israel. Here, this, this glory cloud, this, this Hebrew word kabod, which is, is to, to have weight, uh, heaviness. Here, the glory coming down is not some light, fluffy feeling, but a, a sense of awe and wonder. In Exodus chapter 24, it's a devouring, devouring fire coming down to be able to rest on the mountain. And here... This gut-turning glory comes and fills the whole temple. A sense of inadequacy when someone walks into the room and they are far greater dressed than you. Or you walk into a restaurant and you realize that you are not dressed for that occasion. A sense of awe as you stand before these people. You're not meant to be here and hear the glory of God comes down so much that the priest can't even stand within the house. That the priests have to come out of the holy place. They can't stand to minister there. It's not merely that they cannot see. It's they cannot stand in God's presence. These holy priests who were set apart to be the holiest people of the people of God cannot stand in his presence, even after making all of these sacrifices that could not be numbered, they could not even stand in the presence of God. God doesn't need any sacrifices to make him holy. We need sacrifices that we might approach God. He does not need any priest to be able to show his glory. We need a great high priest so that we might be able to see his glory. This is Jesus' prayer in John um, 17. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be, able, uh, may be with me where I am to see my glory 
that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Here, the Father gives the Son these people, and, and Jesus' prayer is that they might be able to see my glory. And here, the glory of the Lord fills the house of the Lord. Solomon defines it in verse 12 by saying that the Lord has said that he will dwell in thick darkness. Again, we cannot really fathom the the image of what this is like. A consuming fire, devouring fire, a thick darkness. Even after all these sacrifices have been made in verse 5, that they cannot be counted or numbered. When we consider and think about this glorious thing, the truth remains the same, that God of the Bible has not changed. The psalmist says, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. There is not an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. It is the same God. Even the author of Hebrews points this out. Let us be grateful in receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Here the New Testament author is quoting an Old Testament passage in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord which he made with you and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And here the glory, the thick cloud of God's glory comes down to be able to settle and dwell in his house. A.W. Tozer wrote this even 50, 60 years ago. The glory of God has not been revealed to this generation of men. The glory of contemporary Christianity is only slightly superior to the gods of Greece and Rome, if indeed he is not actually inferior to them, in that he is weak and helpless while they at least had power. And we often, I don't think, we read the Bible and see how big and grand and And glorious God is, is A.W. Tozer's point here that that contemporary Christianity, evangelicalism, when we think about God, God is merely just a friend. God is merely just a person. God is merely just a cosmic butler ready to serve you whenever you want. And yet that is not the God of the Bible. That we need to behold God's glory and splendor. We do not need to make God smaller. We need a big God that we cannot fathom, that we cannot understand in all of his complexity and all of his fullness. That we, the glory, comes down. Exactly what the author of John, John says in his prelogue, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Your Christ came down in glory. 
praise so we might be able to see this glory. But he will also come again in glory. Luke records, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Again, a light, fluffy cloud, I think, does not encapsulate what this cloud will be like. A cloud in Exodus 24, the devouring fire, the thick darkness that Solomon speaks of. As we'll see, this glorious truth here of God coming to dwell with his people, to fulfill his promise, that I will be a God to them and they will be my people. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.